Support for this episode and the following message comes from You Learn, You Hope. Is your child bored at home? Do they need to sharpen their math, grammar, or writing skills for the coming year, or just get a head start for next year? Well, You Learn, You Hope is the way to go. You Learn, You Hope tutors kids in grades 3 to 7 in both math and language arts. Founded by a group of ninth graders, You Learn, You Hope provides a pathway to success and even provides worksheets to keep your child up to date. And not only does your child get help, but you also help others. All of their proceeds go to the workers who have been laid off due to COVID-19, which is the organization formerly known as the Restaurant Workers Fund. For more information, visit www.youlearnyouhelp.com, as in the letter you learn, the letter you help.com, or email youlearnyouhelp at gmail.com. Welcome to this week's episode of the Two Brothers and Their Sports Podcast. Our topics this week are Dwayne Johnson buying the XFL for $15 million and sports reopening. And at the end, we have an interview with former NFL linebacker for the Philadelphia Eagles, Seth Joyner. But first, we talk about Dwayne Johnson buying the XFL and what it means for their future. So, if we think about this move, for the XFL, Dwayne Johnson, a famous actor, $15 million isn't really that much if you think about it because you can't even come close to buying an NFL team. There's NFL teams that are worth $5 billion, and he's buying a, a whole um, football league for just um, just $15 million. I think this is a good move. If With his touch, the way he is, and the way he's already made the Titan games, um, his TV show, it's pretty big. And I think that he can really change, because of that, I believe that he can change the way this the XFL has been working. One, one last person? Year, last year, um, the old owner, he didn't do so well, and he had to file for bankruptcy, but with Dwayne Johnson, a very famous actor, most people didn't even know who the owner was last year. But he A very famous actor. I believe this is an amazing move for him, and a pretty good move for the um, old owner, because he wanted to get some kind of money out of it. Okay, let me ask you one thing. You think Dwayne Johnson can change everything for this league? One, just a not different, everything. Just, just a different enough. owner can change everything for this league. No one ever said everything. Yeah, you said he can turn that around. To he turn can. It, he can turn it around. Okay, so I think Dwayne Johnson tremendously overpaid for this because obviously, yeah, they're um, except they're a league, and yeah, it's a lot for a league, but just. The fact that you buy a league that didn't even compete with the NFL last year, what makes you think they can change this year because of one owner? That doesn't even make sense. Of and course it does. Their old owner just wanted to, he bought bankruptcy, they didn't want to lose anything, so they bid it. And Dwayne Johnson bid $15 million and he ended up winning. That's why we're having this conversation right now. But this is way too much for this league. This league couldn't, as I just said, couldn't compete with the NFL last year. One change at the front office level. Not the front office level. I mean, only I mean at the ownership level, cannot change everything. Dwayne Johnson, he, not he was a He's going to change it enough that he'll profit, and the XFL will be a bigger league, but not everything. Okay, but do you think he can make his $15 million back in one year? No. Maybe not one year, but he can get it to progress. He, he doesn't 
one year. I know, but do you think, how long do you think he's going to hold on to this? I think he's going to hold on to this for a few years until it's a much greater, um, it's, it has a much greater value, and he'll be able to sell for a big profit. Dwayne Johnson was a WWE player, uh, WWE wrestler, and then an actor, so I don't really know if he was in the NFL at all, involved with anything, but I don't know if he can take this league to the next level and compete with the NFL. The NFL is so big. He's one team, one, one team in the NFL, $5 billion. And yeah, it's the most expensive one, but still, $5 billion. $15 million is not even... Well, not the, even NFL started, the NFL started where it didn't even cost $15 million. Everything starts very low, and you the have to really st- Yeah, but the XFL started a long time ago. They reopened last year. There was a huge hype, and they couldn't even live up to it. They, they lasted. They lasted some. They lasted somewhere around seven games, and after that seven games, they filed for bankruptcy. They just can't do it. The corona- They were on a roll. Coronavirus came in. You have to expect. There's always nothing's gonna go in a straight line. Success comes in bumps up the line. Exactly. 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 So the they, with they, the NFL. they were they were expecting just a straight line and reopening, but then the coronavirus came Who and said it they not were expecting. Well, why do you think they filed for bankruptcy? They filed for bankruptcy because they didn't have any money left. But if they were able to keep going, you and I both know that they would. It, it goes up and down. The NFL has been here for a hundred years. That's why they have a team that's worth five billion. Okay, but they've been here for just a hundred years. Last year, they hit a hundred years. Think about that for a second. Okay, but COVID came in. No one was expecting something of this caliber. But you have to expect something. No, you and, don't. Yes, you do. Of course not. No one's going to expect that a pandemic is going to wipe out a bunch of people. It's going to be like a global crisis. No, it's not, not a crisis. Okay, you don't. And people will have to shut down. And school will become virtual. Okay, you don't have that. You don't have to. You don't have to expect a pandemic. You have to expect something. No, you don't. Maybe one of your. What is What is the NFL expecting? The NFL is. The NFL always has a backup plan. Do you ever see the NFL just go with one thing the whole year? Yeah, because there's nothing that ever that has ever tripped them up. Think about it. Did the NFL business are dying out because of COVID? Just answer this. You can't say that COVID. You can't say that COVID isn't isn't a valid excuse. For not for having to file for bankruptcy, of course it Just is. Just answer this: Did the NFL come back from COVID? Is the NFL does the NFL have a plan to come back from COVID? Yes. Does, does the, the XFL? XFL? Does the XFL? Well, that hasn't come out yet. Exactly. We do. Dwayne Johnson. They probably do. If he just bought a team and he's thinking in one day or two days or at most a week, he's thinking, okay, in one week I'm going to come up with the whole plan to okay. They still have like they still have like two and a half months left until they get to decide. Okay, yeah, two and a half months. But the NFL has already come back. Because they just got a new owner. You can't expect them to get a whole new plan in a day. They just got a new owner. Okay, well, just do you think they overpaid or do you think that this was a good amount? I think that this was a good amount for, I think that um, Dwayne Johnson got a steal. And I think that for the owner, this was a pretty good amount. Because he did bidding. He didn't say, okay, this is the price. You guys either buy or you don't buy. He did bidding. Okay, but I don't think, I think that he paid so much for this, for something that won't even get as far as it was hyped up to last year. Now we're going to talk about the MLB and NBA reopening. So the NBA reopened close to two weeks ago, along with the MLB. And the MLB has had four outbreaks in that span. The Marlins, Orioles, Phillies, and Cardinals. And I think now Cubs. I'm not so sure about that, but... 
now I think now Cubs. So the Marlins had, they were the first team. They had a huge outbreak, and it just spread. A lot of asymptomatic players, because their immune systems are very good, you can't see their symptoms. And it's just, it's spreading through so many teams. A lot of teams have had to cancel their games due to this. It's not so much about their immune systems for asymptomatic. It's really about COVID is asymptomatic for like eight days. And then your symptoms start showing up. So you could have COVID and be spreading it a lot of time before they actually recognize that you have COVID. Unless, obviously, since they're the MLB, they're having testing. But still, it takes like two days to get the results. And what I'm going to say is, how are they going to determine who makes the playoffs? How? Arch, I'm actually asking you how. Because they have different schedules. Some teams have had to cancel some of their games due to this virus and outbreaks. Dr. Anthony Fauci said that this may be the end of baseball as we know it So, and this season. How are they going to handle the schedule and playoffs and seeding? Well, I think it's really about the way... I think it's just going to be their win percentage. They're going to take their losses, their wins, and they're going to combine it to make a percentage of wins. Probably the best win percentage, maybe 800. I'm going for a lofty goal. Yeah. But um, I think they're going to do it by win percentage. And there could be, yeah, they're probably going to do it by win percentage. I don't see any other way to do it. You can't do record because some teams have had more games. But how are you going to do win percentage if some teams are like 32 and 21, saying they have to cancel um, not 32 and 21, but they're like 20 and 40 or something like that. How are you going to put that against the team that's 1 and 2? They both have the same percentage. Obviously, no gonna go I know, obviously there's not going to be a team that goes 1 and 2. But hypothetically, 1 and 2 and um, 20 and 40, they're both the same percentage. Who do you seed where? Because they both have the same percentage. One has played more games, and one has had COVID-19 outbreak. It's going to go by conferences. It's going to be like the NFL when they decide who wins the conference. Probably by conference wins. Um, if they actually had a game against, if they've had games against that team and they beat them, a bunch of factors are going to come into play to say that. Now for the NBA, we all understand how they're going to do the playoffs, but the question is they've had so many injuries, starting with Rajon Rondo, yes. and now it's just really kicked off when the games have started. And I think it's because they've been rusty. They've been pretty rusty. They haven't played professional basketball for six months plus. And now they're finally getting back to real games. They have to, they're going to take maybe a month and a half until they're really ready. And the problem is they're only playing eight games before the playoffs starts. And I think that's way too little, but they have to do what they got to do. And these players know that they were taking risks coming back to basketball on such a short notice in such a long break. A lot of these experts are saying that these players have had so much time off that they're going to be healthy and ready for the season. I'd argue that that's not necessarily true. They've had time off, yeah, but they haven't worked out with the team. They haven't worked out as hard as they normally would, and they're rusty. They're getting, they're starting um, these games um, right against the wall. They're pushing re- really very hard to get into the playoffs, and some teams are in a fighting spot. Like um, Ben Simmons just got hurt um, recently, and the 76ers are fighting for a better seed. Right now, I think they would have to play the Heat. So, some teams are trying to get off to a very good start, and some teams have. But some players aren't just aren't ready for that, and they have to get in the groove to get into that. Please enjoy our 
our interview with former NFL linebacker Seth Joyner. Former NFL linebacker, played in the NFL for the Philadelphia Eagles, Arizona Cardinals, Green Bay Packers, and Denver Broncos. In 1991, Mr. Joyner was named NFL Player of the Year by Sports Illustrated and received runner-up honors for Associated Press NFL Defensive Player of the Year while a member of the Philadelphia Eagles. Mr. Joyner won Super Bowl 33 as a linebacker for the Broncos in 1998, which was the zenith of his career. Mr. Joyner is one of 44 members of the Philadelphia Eagles Hall of Fame and a 2019 nominee for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Mr. Joyner, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, guys. How are you guys doing today? Good. How are you? I am great. Great. Great to be with you. Tell us a little bit about the beginning of your sports career in college and after that. Well, I mean, I played sports my entire life, baseball, basketball, and football. Um, But by the time I got into high school, I realized that um, I was much more of a football player than a baseball or basketball player. And, um, you know, my passion for the game, my love for the game, and, you know, my dream to play in the NFL, um, I realized that, you know, college was the next step. Um, when I graduated from high school, I went and I played four years at the University of Texas at El Paso. And then <clears throat> I was drafted, you know, in the eighth round by the Philadelphia Eagles in 1986. How did it feel to be drafted by the Eagles? Well, it was exciting. But, you know, when you, when you get drafted, that's really just the beginning phases, you know, of the journey. Um, you know, you a lot of players get drafted that don't necessarily pan out or or make it. But, you know, after you get drafted, um, that's when the real work begins. You've got to go in, get acclimated to a new city, a new team, a new environment, um, a new coaching staff, new teammates, things of that nature. Um, you know, and you got to excel. You know, you got to learn what you got to do. Everyone has a job to do, and you got to figure out what your job is. Um and go in and do your job efficiently and effectively. You go to training camp with 90 players, and by the time it's all said and done, you get to the regular season, there's only about 53 players on each roster. Football players are known to be the current-day gladiators. Give us the details of what happened during the game in 1991 when you played with a 102-degree fever against the Houston Oilers and recorded eight solo tackles, two forced fumbles, two fumble recoveries, and two sacks. Well, um, as I, I can remember, that game is probably, you know, uh, statistically the best game that I ever played in my career. But, um, you know, it was a Monday night game. We were playing against the Houston Oilers at the time. They were the number one ranked um, offense in the NFL. And um, we were the number one ranked defense in the NFL. So we knew going into the game, you know, something had to give uh, with the two top-ranked offenses and defenses going into a Monday night game. Um, back then, you know, there were no Sunday night games. There were no no Thursday night games or Saturday games, for that matter. There was only Sunday night games, and the Monday night game was the preeminent game to be a part of because that meant that all the other teams, the rest of the country, was just watching just your game. Um, so we flew into – Houston that Sunday night, you know, and I wasn't feeling well, and it progressively got worse. And, you know, by the time we got to Monday afternoon, um, 
the the trainers and the coaches had a feeling that, you know, I wasn't going to be able to play. Um, but I had made up my mind all along that, you know, it was my intention to play no matter what the circumstances were. So, you know, my mindset going into the game was I know I was going to be exhausted play after play. So my intent was, okay, I'm just going to play all out and each and every play. And wherever I am on the field, I'm just going to take a knee, you know, gather myself, try to recover, catch my breath, you know, and have, you know, our middle linebacker just give me the call or the safety give me a call rather than trying to hustle back to the huddle. Um, and that pretty much was my mode of operation throughout the whole game. You know, what I learned in that game, I'd never heard of, you know, we call it being in the zone now. I'd never heard of it at that point in time, but I was certainly, you know, in the zone in that game. Um, but because of how I was feeling, I, you know, pretty much, you know, my mind was pretty much just locked into playing. Um, it wasn't one of those situations where I was trying to think through the game because of how I was feeling and the circumstances, you know, that I was enduring. It was just play and just do what it is that your body has prepared you to do and, um, and, and, and play without allowing your mind to get in, get in the way of the game. Um, and the rest is history. You know, the learning piece of that for me was, you know, at that point, like I said, I didn't know what the zone was, but I was forever throughout the rest of my career trying to get back into the zone. But it's something that just naturally happens. It's not something, you know, that you can force into being. How did you convince the team docs and trainers to let you play? In the game? Well, you know, I was, I'd been a starter for quite some time, you know, since 1986. And, you know, there was no damage, you know, no physical damage that I could do do to myself by, you know, by playing. So, um, and I was an important part of the defense as well. So it wasn't one of those situations where, you know, they were going to fight me um, to, to not play. It was more or less, okay, let's, let's see how it goes. You know, if you can get through the game, you know, and there's no issues, that's fine. But, you know, if you be, if you're, if you begin to feel bad and you can't do what it is, you know, that you need to do, you know, then we'll make a decision on whether you continue to play or not. Yeah, that's so crazy. Most people if they had a 102 degree fever would go to the hospital, but you managed to play a game and one of the best of your career. How did you manage to play so well, even with that bad of a fever? Well, I think that, you know, when players, you know, have good games, it, it doesn't start on game day. It really starts at the beginning of the week on a Monday. Um, so the previous Monday is where it really all began. Um, I had always been a player throughout my career that prided himself on being prepared, you know, studying your game plan, studying your opponent, watching as much game film as you, as you could, looking for tendencies, you know, um, against your opponent, what they like to do, who their favorite receivers and running backs are, what their strengths and what their weaknesses are, you know, throughout the week. So if you kind of do all the work leading up to the game, by the time you get to the game, um, you eliminate a lot of the thinking that sometimes paralyzes and plays players if they're not prepared. So preparation for me is always, you know, a key. If you're prepared, then you can confidently go into a game knowing that you're going to have a good game. Conversely, if you're not prepared, you go into the game wondering, whether you'll have a good game or not. 
During her time with the Eagles, the NFC East was known to be one of the toughest divisions in the NFL. What was it like playing against your NFC East rivals? Well, those games were always battle battle games because you just knew, you know, they were um, familiar opponents because, you know, um, you're going to play your division rivals twice a year every year. So we knew each other well. Um, you knew what they were going to do. You knew what their strengths were. You knew who their best players were. You knew what their weaknesses were. Um, so they were just full-on battles and, and, and a lot of fun, to be honest with you, because if you won the division, you know, you had bragging rights, you know, until the next football season. But um, there are a lot of great players and a lot of great coaches, um, you know, on those teams during that era. And, um, you know, we had some battles. We had some, some major battles, no doubt about it. Was it a dream come true to be named NFL Player of the Year in 1991 by Sports Illustrated? It was. You know, it was, it was a big year for me. Um, I had a lot of success that year. I came in second, actually, in the defensive um, Player of the Year balloting. But um, that was a tremendous honor because there was a lot of great football players um, playing in the NFL during that season a lot of great years by a lot of great players. And for me to be recognized and selected as the NFL player of the year um, was pretty special. What was it like to play in two Super Bowls and win one of them? Well, they were both awesome. Um, the first one was, you know, heartbreaking to, you know, play in the NFL for 12 years and have a desire and your number one goal was to get into, play in, and win a Super Bowl and to lose the first one, um, I began to, you know, feel like and believe that um, it was never going to happen, that I was going to be a Super Bowl champion. But the following year, following year, I got traded from the Green Bay Packers to the Denver Broncos. The Denver Broncos repeated as champions that same year, um, and I was able to retire, um, you know, as a Super Bowl champion. It's incredible you know, to realize that a guy drafted in the eighth round would last 13 years in the NFL, but also become an all-pro, um, also, you know, walk away as a Super Bowl champion. It was kind of the cherry on the, um, on the, on the Sunday, if you will, you know, of my career. What obstacles did you have to overcome to win that Super Bowl with the Denver Broncos in 1998? And how did the decision to retire come about after winning one Super Bowl? Well, I think, you know, I always chalk it up to, you know, 12 years of, of being, 12 years of determination, 12 years of hard work, 12 years of perseverance. Now, there's a lot of great players, Hall of Fame players, if you will, um, pro football Hall of Fame players that, you know, play long careers and never get an opportunity to even play in the Super Bowl, let alone um, become a Super Bowl champion. But... Um, you know, it's a culmination of a lot of hard work, a lot of determination, a lot of perseverance. Um, and then, you know, when I got, after I won the Super Bowl, I mean, there were really no other goals for me to accomplish in the game. Um, I desired to play on, but, you know, I actually went and worked out for the Rams that year. Um, and it was my desire, you know, to have an opportunity to compete for a starting job. That wasn't their plan. They wanted to sign me to come in and back up all three linebacker positions. 
You know, and I felt like, well, if I'm in a position where I can't compete, and that's what I've done my entire career, if I can't compete for a starting job, then, you know, maybe it's time to call it call it quits. And, you know, I decided to to um, to retire. You know, it was my own decision. I wasn't really forced out of the game. But, you know, lo and behold, as fate would have it, that was the, the year that the Rams went to the Super Bowl and won. So Super Bowl Sunday, I wasn't too happy realizing I could have went to three Super Bowls in a row and won won two Super Bowl rings. But, you know, hey, those are the decisions that we make. And, um, you know, it's probably a mistake. But, you know, when you walk away from the game, you decide to retire, you do it with no regrets. What does it mean for you to be part of the Eagles Hall of Fame and a nominee for the Pro Football Hall of Fame? Well, I mean, when I got into the game, I got into the game to play because it was my passions, what I what I love to do. Um, it's an honor to be in the Eagles Hall of Fame because there's not a whole lot of players throughout, you know, the 75-plus year, almost 80-year history, you know, the franchise that are in that Hall of Fame. So that's a tremendous honor. Um, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, to be a, nominate, a nominee for it, uh, that's even bigger because you're talking about the history of the entire league, not just the team. So to be able to be up for consideration for that um, is extremely exciting, and I'm extremely hopeful that, you know, one day that will come to fruition. Tell us a little bit about playing alongside Reggie White, Jerome Brown, John Elway, Terrell Davis, and so many more great players. Well, you know, it takes a lot of teamwork, you know, for any team to be successful. In each team, you know, they have stars, superstars, you know, and role players. Um, to be able to play with and to play against, you know, some of those great names. I mean, guys like Reggie Brown, Reggie, Reggie White and Jerome Brown and the many other great players that I played with in Philadelphia. I mean, that, that will always be cherished because those guys I grew up in the game, in the professional game of football with, um, and we did some pretty special and amazing things as a group. Um, to, to be able to play in the NFL is a tremendous privilege. It's an honor um, because there's only 1,696 players every single year, plus, you know, the 10 players on every team, so another 320 players that actually make the practice squad. But to be able to play in the NFL is a tremendous honor because there's only a small percentage of players that play at the collegiate level to get an opportunity to go to the highest level and play against such great talent. This year, Mr. Joyner participated in the Monaco U.S. Celebrity Golf Cup. For our listeners, could you please explain what that is? Well, it's a, um, it's a Ryder Cup format golf tournament that uh, pretty much pits, you know, U.S. celebrities and um, – sport figures against European celebrities and sports figures um, that raises money, you know, for the, the Ryder Cup Foundation. Um, it's a tremendous, you know, golf event. I haven't had a chance to play in it yet. We were supposed to play, um, you know, this, this, I think it was this past June, but, you know, with the COVID-19, you know, a lot of things have been um, put off. But I think next year, um, there's actually two events because the the event alternates between Monaco and um, China and Switzerland, and um, so next year 
Um, they're back-to-back, and I'm looking forward to participating in both next year. Who are some of the other celebrities there and supposed to be on your team? Well, I know Larry Fitzgerald has played in it. Um, um, there, there, there's been it, – it, it changes and it rotates. Like I said, I haven't played in it, so I'm not 100% sure, you know, who all the celebrities are. Um, but, you know, some are very recognizable names. Others are recognizable names. Um, and it, I'm, I'm looking forward to it because I've never played in a format like that before. I love golf. Um, golf is, you know, one of my new passions now, so I'm really looking forward to, you know, not only the trip to those two places, but also, you know, the camaraderie of being on a team, competing against Team Europe, and um, all the fun and excitement that will go on around the event. You're one of the best linebackers to play in the NFL ever. What advice would you give to other kids who want to be the best at their sport? Well, I, I would say that, you know, Um, you have to have an internal love for the game of football in order to make it from the youth level to play at the high school level and then to go on to the collegiate level and then have the opportunity to be um, one of the select few to play at the pro level. Um, It takes a lot of hard work. It takes a lot of sacrifice. um, It takes a lot of commitment. Um, and I think more than anything, you know, you have to really love the game. The game of football is different than any other sport because of the physical nature of it. Um, so there's a lot of requirements that come along with that. I mean, you got to love everything about it, the studying, the eating, how to eat right, how to train. Um, sometimes you even have to love, you know, the aches and pains that come along with the game because sometimes you have to ignore them in order to play the game because, you know, you're going to get hurt, you're going to get beat up, you're going to get bruised, and that's a part of the game. Um, so I would say, you know, if it's a passion, you know, then figure out what you have to do, you know, to get better in every way, whether that's, you know, your nutrition, whether that's your training, whether that's gathering and gaining information that will help you become better at the position that you play. Um, and then, you know, as you progress and become more advanced, you know, what are you willing to put into the game to be successful? You have to study, you have to prepare, you have to put the time in. Um, and that means that there's sacrifices, you know, that you have to make. There's places you can't go, there's things you can't do, there's events you can't attend. Even, you know, if you have a family, your family has to sacrifice, you know, in order for you, they have to sacrifice time spent with you sometimes in order for you to be successful at what you do. Um so all of those things, you know, should be considered and thought about, you know, when one is endeavoring or thinking about becoming a professional athlete. Those are such important lessons to learn. Thank you so much for joining us today. We really loved hearing about the roller coaster of emotions you felt throughout your career and the Super Bowl felt. Many kids dream about that, including my brother and I. We appreciate your time and have a great rest of your day. Thank you, guys. It's been a pleasure to be with you. Take care. A reminder that this week's episode of the Two Brothers and Their Sports Podcast is sponsored by You Learn, You Hope. Is your child bored at home? Do they need to sharpen their math, grammar, or writing skills for the coming year, or just get a head start for next year? Well, You Learn, You Hope is the way to go. 
You Learn, You Help tutors kids in grades 3 to 7 in both math and language arts. Founded by a group of ninth graders, You Learn, You Help provides a pathway to success and even provides worksheets to keep your child up to date. And not only does your child get help, but you also help others. All of their proceeds go to the workers that have been laid off due to COVID-19, which is the organization formerly known as the Restaurant Worker Funds. For more information, visit www.youlearnyouhelp.com, as in the letter you learn, the letter youhelp.com, or email youlearnyouhelp at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Two Brothers and Their Sports podcast. Tune in wherever you get your favorite podcasts and listen to hear the latest in the sports world that week. Thanks, and have a great rest of your day.